Hello and welcome to The Laugh. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of January 3rd, 2017. Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538 and I will be your host today. I'm joined as always by my co-podcasters. First on the line from Chicago, we've got 538 sports writer Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. Hey, Neil. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's exciting uh, to be back. And in studio, we have fellow 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. How was your New Year? I was in the woods in a big house in Connecticut with a bunch of people putting on skits. Wow, that sounds uh, really yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I bet that went yeah. just as well as it sounds like it went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you top that, Chris? No, I thought Kyle was going to say something about filming The Village or something with the way that story started. I was a little worried Damn about Damn well that. seemed like it. Yeah, I had fun. <laughs> thoughts of abduction and things like that. Uh, but you're here. You're safe. You're back uh, among uh, the world here in the city. And uh, now we can talk about some basketball. On today's show, we're actually going to talk about this year's relative lack of monster individual games, at least when compared with last year's mind-numbing stat lines. Uh, we'll also bring you a small sample about Andre Drummond's newfound passing skills. But first, let's dissect Isaiah Thomas's impressive return for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So let's talk about uh, one of the biggest news items of the week. It has to be about the return of all-star guard Isaiah Thomas, who finally made his long-awaited debut as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers on Tuesday night. Thomas went 6-for-12 from the field, including three three-pointers. He scored 17 points, and he also added three assists in 18 minutes and 56 seconds of court time. Uh, and as importantly, Cleveland outscored Portland by 17 with Thomas on the floor, uh, and they notched 127 points in total, which was their second highest point total of the season against a defense that we've talked about before is we don't know how uh, necessarily, but they're actually uh, among the top defenses in the league. So I wanted to open up to you guys and just ask, how did Thomas look to you guys against Portland? He, he seemed healthy and explosive again, right? He looked explosive, but he wasn't like blowing by guys just with quite the same quicks that he had last season. The handle wasn't like exactly the same, but um, that was kind of a special season last season. He's just coming back. But what he was doing and what Cleveland has like really, really needed is he was using screens well, he was using space well, he was drawing to defenders and like letting, there was one play where Dwayne Wade had a back cut on the right wing and like the Cleveland offense hasn't really had guys who make the defense look at them. And so he just stepped on. He was immediately doing that. I was really impressed by how he looked. I think, like Kyle said, the quickness and stuff, you still see flashes and bursts of it, which is what he really excels at. He's going to be fine, I think. I, I thought for a while to some extent that a hip injury, specifically with someone with his speed and the fact that he's so small that he kind of thrives on that, that that could potentially be something that, when you look at how old he is and how long he's been in the league, that if he doesn't come back right, it's a real concern. Uh, I think some of those concerns are probably washed away now. It seems like they really took their time with his rehab. Uh, and, and they're not even close to really what he'll be able to do, I, I think, in terms of once he's fully up and going. And really, they're still re reintegrating Tristan Thompson back in the lineup. He's kind of struggled so far. And I think the two of them in particular, if they really develop the way I think they can as a pick-and-roll tandem, but more so using Thomas in the handoff phase, which is he was kind of the most prolific player in the league in terms of taking handoffs last year. The Cavs run almost the fewest handoffs in the league, but they already are the most efficient team when they actually do that. And so I think that they could really take off offensively once they get comfortable with that. And I think it'll give 
Thomas even more burst if he's able to kind of take off sprinting and have Tristan Thompson just setting really solid screens for him. They're going to be really hard to stop on offense. Yeah, I was going to ask how it changes sort of the profile of some of the players that are already on the team. Uh, we've talked about LeBron James already this season and about how at this age that he is with so much workload, he's still carrying such a huge load for them uh, in terms of even playmaking and setting up uh, the offense. Dwayne Wade has also taken on basically a secondary kind of playmaking uh, passing responsibility, almost like a point guard version of, of D. Wade. Uh, and, and you have to think that that is a alleviated instantly by having Isaiah Thomas back. So does this sort of help them? I know they've gotten uh, by without Kyrie Irving uh, and and without that secondary, you know, scoring guard and and playmaker uh, to play alongside LeBron. But this dramatically changes the shape of an offense that we should say, even without after losing Kyrie and without having Isaiah Thomas, they somehow actually improved on offense since last year, especially relative to the league average. But this seems to make them even more dangerous well what it does is it makes them more diverse uh like chris was saying the handoff phase is something they are probably going to bring in with thomas especially with jay crowder who has been just dormant all season but had one of his best games of the season last night so that's uh that's a style that like Dwayne wade even though he's playing that's point guard role doesn't really play like he plays a lot like lebron does uh when he's the one like out there facilitating the offense so when those new elements are being worked in uh, like different uh, different players on the offense just might start lighting up too. Yeah, I think that really the fact that Kyrie has been able to integrate himself the way he has into that offense, I looked just randomly at some of the handoff statistics in Boston, and lo and behold, Kyrie and Al Horford are the most efficient handoff tandem in the league. And I think it speaks to, one, and Kyle has mentioned this in his stories before, Horford's really great at setting screens. But two, Boston had a lot built in already of how to make use of kind of an undersized guard and how to help him get to the basket. Isaiah Thomas definitely isolates. He finds his own shots. But he is someone that because of how small he is, I think he was the most blocked player in the league last year and has been near the top of the league in that the last few years. He needs a little bit of help getting to the basket to just free stuff up for him a little bit, and Tristan can do that. Uh, I'd like to think that LeBron can probably do that, maybe not in handoffs, but just in pick and rolls. They need more diversity to that offense, like Kyle was saying, if you're going to have a realistic chance of beating Golden State, unless you've got that situation where LeBron and Kyrie are both going off for 40. It's not going to happen often enough for you to win four times. You're going to need some diversity in that offense. That's the one one thing that stood out to me is just watching Isaiah just run around with all those like bigger players because the team last year in Boston was just a much smaller team. They were a mid-sized team and just watching him run around all those screens by just big dudes that just he didn't have last season. Like it immediately looked just different. <laughs> Okay, well, we also have to talk about the Cavaliers' defense. This is something that we speculated about before the season, before they even put Isaiah in. This was a team that lost Kyrie Irving, who was one of the worst defensive guards in the league, and haven't played Isaiah until last night. He's also one of the worst defensive guards in the league. And yet somehow they slipped from 21st in defensive rating last year to 27th this year. So what do you guys think about this team's strength and weaknesses right now as they go forward we talked about how they've been fine offensively uh, and and struggling defensively and now they're adding Isaiah Thomas who adds a lot offensively and takes away something on defense is this something to be concerned about especially since last year's Cavs were one of the worst defensive teams ever to make the finals well let's not overstate too much how much he's taken away from the defense because 
Starting for the Cavs is Jose Calderon. Before <laughs> Jose Calderon was starting, it was Derrick Rose. Like, they have not really had, like, defensive-minded point guards in there at all. Uh, after, you know, Calderon went in, they had one who could at least play some offense. So, I mean, yeah, like, there's going to be a little bit of a change over there, but uh, I wouldn't expect Isaiah to take away too, too much. Um, but yeah, like they're playing uh, Channing Fry more minutes than they did last year. He'd fallen out of the rotation a little bit. Uh, Kevin Love is obviously still on the floor, so there's going to be some defensive hiccups. But uh, but yeah, uh, point guard hasn't really been a strength on defense all year. I think it's it's probably going to be a little bit of a mix. I think he obviously is not going to help them a whole lot at point guard. I mean, he's also not probably going to be terribly terribly worse than than someone like a Calderon or even Rose when you look at the way he plays defense. But they have Tristan Thompson back healthy, and I think that's probably one of the reasons they've been as bad as they have been defensively. One thing that actually was helping them for a little bit during that win streak that they had was the fact that as they were playing without point guards, you know, they had that period of time without Shumpert um, and, and not having Rose there, they they were a lot bigger. I think, you know, they, they at least, even though they aren't really great defensively, they at least had guys that could manage a switch for the most part, because basically they're running LeBron out there as their lead ball handler, as has been the case several times the last few years. But having him out there as your lead guy and all of a sudden looking around and seeing everybody, you know, maybe Wade being your shortest guy out there, 6'4", and then everybody else 6'6", or taller, 6'7", that's a really big lineup that is still long and is going to be a little bit more difficult to shoot over, even if guys are a little bit slower, even if guys are kind of taking their time. But I think the main thing with the Cavs, Thomas will not probably help with this either, especially with how much he kind of complains to refs. He got the technical foul last night. They're really horrible in transition defense. Uh, a lot of times they're not running all the way back. LeBron is arguing. Isaiah Thomas is going to argue. Uh, it's a team that you know probably has some sense of entitlement given who's on the, the floor for them. But um, but they just I don't think Isaiah is going to help. I'm hoping that Tristan will help them just a little bit now that he's back there as a as a backstop for them. Okay, we'll leave Isaiah Thomas and the Cavs there, and let's move on to talk about some good old-fashioned stat padding, or the lack thereof, this season. Last season was the NBA's year of the monster stat line. Russell Westbrook won MVP while averaging a triple-double. James Harden became the first player since Tiny Archibald in 1973 to put up 29 and 11 assists a night. And overall, the league saw 50-point games and other eye-popping stats go up with impressive frequency. Toronto's DeMar DeRozan kept that kind of spirit alive this season with a 52-point, 8-assist game against the Bucks on New Year's Day, but it's been kind of a rarity. Uh, that type of performance has been down this season. If we look at John Hollinger's game score, which adds up a weighted value for all the good and bad things a player does in a game, there were 12 individual games that hit a mark of 40, which is the kind of performance that really only happens a couple times a season. Uh, at this stage of the season last year, which was more than there had been in the previous six seasons combined. But this year, there have only been four games of a game score of 40 or more, including DeRozan's outburst, which pretty much puts us back at the historical norm. So guys, why are we seeing so many fewer crazy individual games happening this season than last season, which seems like a new era blossoming of the 50-point 10 assist or 50-point triple-double and and things like that? Well, I think part of it is that some of these guys that we saw doing this sort of thing on a regular basis last year have better teams this year, and so they're kind of spreading some of the stats that they garnered in certain games last season. They're sharing those with other people. Uh, obviously, Westbrook is one of those guys, you know, granted, even though Carmelo hasn't played all that well, uh, Paul George is out there, so he's having to share shots. Even the assist opportunities, given that those guys all like to play ISO, 
I look at other guys like Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, all kind of teaming up this year. Um, I, I just think that's a big part of it is that so many of these guys have teamed up finally, Chris Paul and James Harden, another one, uh, that you can't exactly go off the same way in a complete statistical way that you could have maybe a year ago if you were kind of a lone star on your team. The fact that they're sharing the court with these guys probably makes it a little bit tougher other than maybe assists, but even then you've got guys that are playing ISO styles. Yeah, if you look at last year's top 10 in usage rate, six of them are down from last season, and only two of them are up, uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden, and then two are inconclusive, uh, Isaiah Thomas, who we just talked about, and also Kawhi Leonard, neither of whom have really played enough to say for sure, but it does seem like you're right, Chris, that uh, the concentration of players on, on fewer teams is a trend that we've seen, and it seemed to only intensify over over the offseason, and maybe that explains part of it. Uh, but what I thought was also interesting was that it really isn't a lack of seasonal production. Um, if you look at player efficiency rating, which is tied into things like game score, uh, sometimes we like to talk about stats that have kind of passed that particular metric by, but I do think it's good to kind of encapsulate a player's uh, box score production. Uh, and if you look at the top 10 qualified PER seasons of the past three years, half are from this season. I thought that this was really interesting that James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, they're all having really, really good individual seasons, but maybe through a mix of not playing as many minutes and also, uh, you know, not having the opportunity to, to put up those crazy usage numbers at the same time. They're not putting up great individual games. Right. A lot of it is, is packed into like, like the way that game score is made up of like efficiency and like scoring just being really heavily uh, waited, but I mean, Boogie Cousins, who didn't even mention, has had some ridiculous games. He's had two 40-20 games, I think. He's the only two this season. And, uh, so, like, yeah, this is a continuing trend where we see, like, uh, we did a, a triple-double index, uh, for the last two seasons with, uh, Russell Westbrook, where we would break down per hundred possessions. Uh, what, like, what do the triple-double seasons or triple-double type seasons look like using a weighted average? Uh, we don't have to get into it, but yeah, Russ was obviously at the top for like the last three seasons, four seasons, whatever. But creeping up, you would see every year, uh, oh, so here's James Harden two years ago and like, la- especially last year. Here's LeBron James just randomly. Here's Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, just creeping in two seasons ago and then like, oh wait, he's in the top whatever, 20, like last season of all time, like per 100 possessions. And this is a continuing trend. So, so I think there's, uh, like obviously something to be said for like, yeah, fewer like individual single games. Uh, and that's also just injuries. Um, you know, Isaiah, who had a lot of good games last year, uh, has been out. Steph Curry not only has a diminished role on the team now that Durant's there since last year, but has been out. John Wall missed some time right. also. On the other side, though, you have Joel Embiid kind of joining that club, one of the four players to put up a 40-game score so far this season. So you do have new blood coming in also that aren't uh, dropping off from last year. But last year you had, like, Otto Porter had a mm-hmm. game like that. Uh, Clay Thompson had had one game. The list of players that had one really stellar game, I think, was notable uh, in comparison with previous previous years where you still have the Harden, you still have the LeBron this year kind of doing it or having the potential to do it on a night in, night out basis, but those kind of more random one-off games in which someone goes off for 40 or 50 points don't seem to have been quite at the same level. So yeah, but like, 
I was saying, so yeah, even though like we have, you know, guys coming in and out, like of the injury stuff like that, uh, because the, the production is still there, like Giannis's line is what, 29, 10 and like almost five. DeMarcus is 26, 12 and a half and five on six threes a game with like shooting 35%. Like, uh, because the, the overall season production is there, I think that, uh, I wouldn't rule out seeing more of these in the second half of the season, especially because we started so early this season and a lot of guys and teams were just like, we just kind of weren't ready to play. Yeah. One other thing that we, we speculated about when we talked about the triple double index, uh, like you mentioned, Kyle, and then also, uh, the crazy stat lines was that we just seem to be in a golden age of great individual players. And it's not like that has gone away since last season. We still have so many star players in the middle of their primes or or in some cases just going into their primes that maybe last year was the perfect mix of all the conditions being right for these crazy individual games uh but at the same time like you said Kyle it seems kind of silly to rule out the possibility of even better games this season going down the stretch yeah so especially in the second half of the season you know just as these teams uh get them their legs under them uh but especially for like some of the teams that are just coming online so uh, the Rockets, like, uh, like Harden's putting up ridiculous numbers already. Chris Paul's down there putting up ridiculous assist numbers. But, uh, like, that D'Antoni system has been pushing this whole thing forward, I feel like. Uh, so we've always had, you know, the point forward in the league, or for a long time we have. We've had Oscar Robertson, we've had, you know, Scottie Pippen playing point forward. But in the high pace era, uh, I think he did something special happen. And I think the 2013 season, maybe the 2014. Uh, where Kobe Bryant, uh, because of injuries, because of all these things, uh, just had to play point guard for extended periods of time on that Steve Nash, Dwight Howard team where everything was going wrong. And it worked. <laughs> and because like Kobe would just hold the ball for like 12 seconds at a time and just force you to look at him, force you to send a second guy over because it just felt wrong. And then you would find an open guy. And that was kind of the way that you played like video game basketball. Of just like, oh yeah, Kobe of course has the ball. The two like, K playbook. Of course. And uh but like I I genuinely feel this that like a lot of times the things that like work in video games are just a couple years out from uh what's working in like real life. So we've seen this with three pointers, we've seen this for going on four uh on fourth down over and over. And uh just over the last few years we've seen more and more just the best player whoever it happens to be if it's DeMarcus Cousins maybe he's holding the ball like at the top of the key if it's LeBron James maybe LeBron James is playing point guard like pure point guard more than he has in the rest of his career uh which we've seen in the last few years maybe it's Giannis Antetokounmpo who's you know, 6'10 whatever the hell he is now running point like last season and for for large stretches here so and so this is a continuing thing where like single players are uh, we're seeing in like the the season stat lines just amassing big lines and yeah so it's a bunch of talented players but also they're given the opportunity to do this now too i wouldn't be surprised if we also see more of these as we get to the second half of the season just on the one side we were saying how injuries might have depressed the number of these that we've seen i also think it could actually increase the number of them in the second half as we see you know harden's going to be out for the next couple weeks Maybe that gives Chris Paul an opportunity at some point once he's back up and running to kind of pull off a performance like this. Or, you know, the reverse of that, if Paul gets hurt and then Harden's back, it gives him more opportunity to kind of dominate a stat line. Um, I, I just think part of it, I think even Kyrie, I, I think I saw a stat that in the first 10 or 15 games he played with the Celtics, he only had one 30-point game, and then he had like a run of five or six out of a seven-game span, it kind of takes guys a while to get comfortable with new teammates. So some of these guys have switched teams 
And it just requires time or it requires the opportunity to kind of have a night. You know, I, I make fun of Michael Beasley playfully, basically saying that he loves games where Porzingis is out because he just gets to kind of act like the number one option all the time. And, you know, basically like, who's going to check me now? And basically, I, I do think players, maybe they don't look forward to it, but they go into the game with a different mindset if they know their other star isn't there. Or if a star is not playing, it gives somebody else a chance to step up. And kind of almost, it's it's almost like a buffet for two at that point instead of just for one. Uh, and someone kind of eating off both plates in that situation. And also, like, not everyone has played the Kings yet. So uh, like that, that's going to help out, too. <laughs> Okay, let's wrap things up there and close out the episode with a segment we like to call Small Sample. This is the time of the show where we discuss an emerging trend that doesn't have a lot of data behind it yet, but might end up being meaningful before season's end. And this week's Small Sample is all about Detroit Pistons big man Andre Drummond. We talked earlier in the season right about Drummond's improved shooting percentage from the free throw line. He's shooting 63% from the line this year, which is 25 points higher than his previous career high. But he has another incredibly ridiculous historic improvement in his stat line that's completely separate from that uh, and it's about his passing. Drummond has an assist on 18% of teammate buckets this season which ranks ninth among qualified big men. So what? Big deal you might ask. That 18% that doesn't sound that high. Well his career rate going into the season was 4.1% which was one of the lowest among any active big men. Uh, and Chris actually had a chance to talk to Pistons head coach Stan Van Gundy about Drummond's increase in assists recently at a Pistons shoot around so here's what van gundy had to say stan when you look at andre and it's basically quadrupled his number from last year in terms of assists per game um, i think some people kind of forget how young he is because of how long he's been in the league but what do you attribute that sort of jump to it's pretty much unheard of well he's a good passer and we've given him more opportunities to handle the ball and he's he's taken advantage of it i mean he's, he's a good passer we run a lot of stuff through him and um and he's done a good job. Do you think, whether it's fans, analysts, what have you, can kind of close the book on folks too early when they come in the league as young as he was? Well, I mean, you could always do that, I guess, yeah. But he's, I mean, he was an all-star two years ago, so it's not like he hasn't garnered respect in the league. I thought that was a really interesting comment because it kind of jives with what we see statistically from this team, this Detroit team. They've increased their assist percentage overall, much better ball movement. Maybe some of that is having Reggie Jackson for the whole season, but they're also running a lot fewer post-ups despite feeding the ball more to their front court players. Uh, and it seems like they're just routing more of their playmaking to their big men uh, and, and facing the basket more in those situations. And at the same time, kicking out for more threes, their, their three-pointers made per game are way up compared with last year and, and more of a modern offense that they're running in Detroit than they had been in the past. Well, I, I think also part of this, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from Drummond because I, I do think he's a, a really good example. And I mentioned this in, in my question to Stan and kind of asked his opinion on it. Um, I, I think a lot of times when guys have been in the league as long as they have, like Drummond, I think like Kyrie Irving, we have a tendency to kind of forget how young they are. Uh, Drummond's only 24 and, you know, has been in the league, what is this, year five or year six for him? And so I think a lot of times we, we can forget that they're not done growing. You know, normally guys don't hit their prime until probably closer to 26 or 27 as, as basketball players. And so he could just really be getting into the, the best part of his career still. Uh, but I think part of it too also could be the fact that some of it is either luck or just, you know, improved shooting from his teammates. Uh, the Pistons last year, when you look at synergy, 
They were second to last in terms of score frequency or score percentage on spot up shooting. And so, you know, kicking the ball out to them, they weren't really going to knock down shots at a very high clip. This year, they're 12th, I think, this year so far in that statistic. And so basically, they've been more reliable shooters this year. Avery Bradley is obviously new there, although he's missed some time the last couple games. And, you know, Tobias Harris, I feel like every time I watch them, I, I tweeted recently, the Pistons always look like the best team to ever play basketball whenever I t- happen to watch one of their games. Um, and the same was true the other day. Uh, Tobias Harris made something like his first nine shots. Reggie Bullock, all of a sudden, a uh, young player out of North Carolina, really struggled with the Clippers and didn't really get much of a chance there. Um, all of a sudden, has put together some really, really good games, the best stretch of his career, where it feels like he's getting 15 every night. So, I mean, they've just got more reliable shooting lately uh, out of their wing players, and I think that's a big part of his assist percentage going up, too, is just the fact that guys are knocking down shots when he kicks it out to them. Yeah, going off what Chris said, I think there's also this uh, this instinct among basketball fans, especially a certain cut type of basketball fan, to be like, your stats are your personality. That, uh, that you, like, your stats define yourself. So if, like, if you don't pass, if you don't have any assists, like, you're just a guy, you're a black hole, like, you're a self. It's like, no, sometimes it's just, like, what you're asked to do. And, like, that's part of what, like, Stan was saying, too, of just, like, it's different opportunities. We're asking to do different things. Uh, like, he's being asked to, like, pass to these shooters now because they have shooters on the team. And so, like, people like to, to bag on guys like, so Hassan Whiteside is Hassan Whiteside, the yeah, prime example, like, yeah. uh, where Hassan in his first uh, couple seasons had, like, combined fewer than 100 assists like all put together and like if you had talked to anyone on the heat they're like well one yes Hassan does like to shoot we're not going to say he doesn't (laughs) but like we build the offense around that like it's not his job to be passing out of that like if he were passing out like there's something going wrong in the offense as it's built so you have to look at what's actually working for the offense uh, when that offense was going well, it was when, uh, like a couple seasons ago now, uh, Reggie Jackson was in there. They were on a bunch of pick and roll. Uh, Drummond was, you know, making his shots more. But now they have different personnel in there that, like, Drummond could be passing out a little bit more. It makes more sense. Uh, you see this with other big d- dudes too. So, uh, Dwight Howard has been an actual black hole this year. He's just been in the post, just eating up possessions, his efficiency downs, everything's bad. Uh, but again, then, uh, the Hornets beat the Warriors uh, a couple days ago. And all of a sudden, Dwight looks like, oh, Dwight is passing out of the double team real fast. Dwight is, uh, you know, just just doing a bunch of things that we haven't seen him do. Like, he's not just putting his shoulder into dudes and, you know, being the worst possible version of Dwight Howard. He's uh, just out there pass- making the right pass, uh, just doing things that he hasn't done. Then after the game, uh, when, you know, reporters went in and talked to the coaches, they're like, oh, yeah, we were working with Dwight on passing out of the double team uh, for the last few days, and you'll see it out there. Like, we asked him to do this. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times it's just their job has changed. <laughs> Yeah, and it, and I think it also shows an area where teams can get creative and, and kind of do unexpected things. Uh, and we should say Detroit was 24th in offensive rating last season. They're up to 16th this season with this more, you know, ball movement oriented offense, uh, with, with Drummond at the center of it. So it is working. And just because a player hasn't done something in the past doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing it going forward. Obviously, a lot of the stuff is context dependent. I think Kyle was smart to, to raise that. I mean, one thing that we have to keep in mind, especially with the Pistons probably more than any other team, is, I mean, their roster, especially since Stan came in, basically the first thing that Stan Van Gundy did when he got there was wave Josh Smith, which was a huge deal at the time because he had a max deal. And so, you know, the reason he got rid of Josh Smith, among other reasons, is that he could not shoot. And not only could he not shoot, he shot a lot of jump shots despite not being able to shoot. And that was also a roster that featured Greg Monroe 
and Andre Drummond. I mean, they basically had three guys that in today's NBA could play center, um, but, you know, none of them could really shoot outside of 15 feet. And, you know, you had guys that really wanted to take those shots. And so how are you supposed to get assists to those guys when they're all standing right next to you and when none of them can step out and, and shoot past 15 feet? So that's part of it. Now when you look at guys like Luke Kennard and um, obviously Tobias Harris has had a pretty decent season so far. And, you know, people like that, Reggie Bullock, as I mentioned before, you're going to be in position to get more assists because the offense is more spaced out. Defenses have to cover more ground in order to stop you. So it's it's natural on the one hand, but I do think also, like Stan said in his response, Drummond's actually been a pretty decent passer for a while. He just wasn't really in an environment where we ever would have seen that before. I'm going to weigh Leas on Josh Smith for a second because that Josh Smith season was amazing for, like, a bunch of reasons. <laughs> like, on the one hand, he, like – it just shows you that they will try to sell anything. Coming into that season, I kind of halfway bought it. They were like, oh, yeah, like no one can shoot. They're all huge, but uh, we're going to play them all. They're good interior passers. It's going to open up space in a different way. It's like that's not really how that works. <laughs> but two, like Josh Smith proved to us that like – so. The, the stats nerd thing is always no more long twos. Just take a step back and make it a three. It's just a better shot anyway. And Josh showed us that that's not always the case because <laughs> instead of just taking these long twos, which are just like on their face bad, he was just, he became like, I think we did a story for it. Uh, Ruben and I who used to work together at Deadspin, he became literally the worst three point shooter of all time. And it was this just incredible thing because he'd just come off a few seasons prior. Being in Atlanta where he took, I think, seven three-pointers all season. Uh, it was his contract year and, like, everyone understood that, like, well, Josh has to, you know, get it together, uh, get his big contract or whatever. And, I don't know, I just think he just – I've never met him. Like, I just think he likes shooting jumpers more than anyone else in the game because, like, he knows what works. Like, he was amazing that season. The Hawks were great that season, pretty good that season. And he just can't help himself. He just – if he's open, he's going to take the shot. <laughs> yeah, he, he – that – there are a couple guys in the league that I'm really curious about. One who I'd like to write about, so I won't mention, but he's up there for one of the strangest career arcs in history. But that that team, I mean, I'll never forget watching him in person. And at the time, I was covering the Knicks for the Wall Street Journal and coming to a game in Detroit. And Josh Smith literally just, you could hear an audible groan from the Detroit crowd whenever he would spot up to take a jumper. It was, I've never heard anything like that. Like it happened at least eight times over the course of the game. Just the crowd. Well, I've heard that for Ron Artest. It, it's bad. It, it's incredible that like you're not cheering or rooting against a player, but it's just like this dread that the crowd feels whenever someone lines up to take a shot. And so it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I do think that there were some elements of his game that translated well. Uh, aside from LeBron, I think Josh Smith might have been the best player in the league at, you know, chase down blocks. Maybe he was even better than LeBron at that point. Um, so he had skills. I mean, he was a good, he was a relatively good defender. He was really good around the basket, good rebounder, really impressive skill set for his size. Um, but if you couldn't convince him to stop taking shots from outside of 17 feet, then, uh, he could really negate a lot of the stuff that he did well. And it, it's really crazy to think that he's out of the league at this point, given what his stature was just five or six years ago. Not just stature, it's the skill set, too, of, like, the game as it's played today that it can't find space for Josh Smith, um, but if he would, you know, be able to stop shooting all those threes, uh, like, that's crazy. 
But yeah, like look at look at this uh, 2009 2010 season. 0.1 three point attempts per game. Then we're back up to two, 1.7, two and a half, three and a half in 2014, the first season in Detroit. Was that his contract year? Of course, that was his contract year. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you do the uh, the fun stuff up until you have to really bear down, and then you get serious, and then when you get that contract, you do the fun stuff again. Uh, one last note on Drummond, just to kind of bring things back uh, to him. Uh, this improvement in his assist rate is the eighth biggest single season improvement on a player's career average since the merger with the ABA uh, with a minimum of 10,000 career minutes leading into the season. And that even undersells things a little bit because all the players ahead of him were guys who had shown some passing ability and just were asked to do like 50% of teammate baskets while on the court, like a James Harden or, or a Chris Paul or something like that. Drummond went from practically never setting up teammates to taking in about a fifth of the assists uh, for his teammates when he was on the floor. The only player who was really similar was Joe Kim Noah in 2014, who went from 12% in his career to 26% in that particular season. So it just goes to show, again, that a player can, can really change things about themselves, even things that we consider maybe as stat heads, like you mentioned, Kyle to be core to their identity as a player a lot of it still comes down to what coaches are asking you to do and uh, you know how how you perform at that job might be different from how you perform in a different role in a different system Noah's another dude who just his role changed um, and like he just always had those skills like going back to Florida and like he actually like in at his best in uh, in Chicago he's kind of like Al Horford now uh, for the Celtics where he's played really good uh, defense in the middle Played kind of a point center, uh, set, uh, really effective, really, really illegal screens all over the place. It was, um, yeah, like it was just a different role for him. Okay, we'll leave the passing big men there and wrap up the show. Thanks to everyone who sent us questions last week for our Q&A episode. Keep them coming at podcast at 538.com or find us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the program and just give us your NBA questions. We'd, we'd love to hear them uh, for a later mailbag or maybe just a recurring segment on the show. Our podcast producers, as always, are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are there. Whether it's the Listen tab of your ESPN app or even on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you listen, be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.